Welcome, one and all, to Strange New Worlds, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. What the hell are you doing inside my nacelle? Strange New Worlds, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 206, Lost in Translation, comes to you now via the shiniest gas station you've ever seen. Pete, over there on our Secret Invasion Saturday podcast, we talked about the penultimate episode of that miniseries, uh, only one to go, and an exciting finish we can hope for. Yes, building towards an exciting climax, Matt. We also did a little Ahsoka last week. What with uh, a month from today to the two-episode premiere that announced along with a trailer. So check that out on the Ahsoka podcast feed by Fantastic Geek if you're not already listening and subscribed. And Pete, no Star Trek news in the last couple of days. So let's head to the mission briefing, right? <laughs> you just, Matt, there was the big Star Trek universe presentation, not panel, uh, at San Diego Comic-Con. No panel because, of course, uh, actors are forbidden from promoting um, future work or current work. Uh, they chose uh, instead to just uh, give some information there, a lot of it in the form of video. We had a Star Trek Discovery Season 5 sneak peek with a chase scene, uh, some really good pyrotechnics and effects there and still sticking with the early 2024 stream date. Very much looking forward to that. It is of course, bittersweet knowing that we are heading into the final season of discovery, but you know, the end must come to all things and who knows what the long-term picture is. Uh, it's never, one can never count star Trek out or a star Trek show out. So whether some of these characters reform in the Academy series or whether there's time travel back, time travel, travel forward, time travel to the Kelvin universe, whatever it is, uh, we never truly say goodbye. Speaking of time travel, Matt, the Star Trek Lower Decks trailer and also an announced stream date of September 7th. Very, very much looking forward to seeing Lower Decks return, particularly since the third season was very, very good, but maybe not as great as season two. So just really, I mean, most of all, interested to be back with these characters and back on the Cerritos and all of that, but just to see where things are headed next in just a charming, charming show. In what's become a tradition, the poster mirroring the uh, the film series. So this one taking... Um, reference from the star trek for the voyage home poster uh most notably for me is badgie's presence on there which can only go back to their halcyon uh season of uh you know season one uh and in that trailer they did make passing reference to mariner saying to boimler don't forget we're not supposed to talk about that pike thing what uh, pike thing uh, Pete, that Pike thing that had been, I guess, previously announced to be that they were going to show the episode at San Diego Comic-Con. And uh, Pete, I'll go glass is half full here in the absence of major wow factor at this panel in that you don't have actors and you don't have writers. And 
I know directors technically can show up, but the directors do but one or two episodes a season. And honestly, you know, a number of them are writer directors, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, what they had announced was that they were going to share all of uh, episode 207, those old scientists for those in attendance at San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, and then last evening, you send me a text uh, of a tweet um, saying, oh, no, the episode goes live for everybody on Paramount Plus at 7 p.m. And I'm like, but it's 6.45 and I'm driving. Is this really <laughs> what you mean? And I get home and it's there. And it was wonderful. Yes. Uh, a rare PR win, Matt, for uh, Paramount Plus. Um, this, along with the news, the confirmation, we had been hearing a lot of rumors to the fact that uh, their penultimate season two episode will be the first ever musical episode in star trek history along with a uh an album you can pre-order and you know what i was i'm very trusting of the strange new worlds team uh both in front and behind the camera and you know take star trek where you want it to go i then see the trailer that includes no major spoiler here but like there is a pulse energy beam thing, which I'm assuming is going to cause people to break into song. Like, whatever it is, it's a little bit of a reminder that Strange New Worlds in particular has ha, has returned to this age of Star Trek where you really can do a different thing each week. And I know all of that is through Star Trek, but I think that along the way, maybe that had been forgotten, that you really can go to the planet of the Nazis and punch some Nazis and then you leave them. And that's your episode of classic Trek for a given week, or you can go to the planet where Spock gets spores in the face. And all of a sudden it's 1968. It's a 1968 episode and he's high and you're exploring that. And then Spock never gets high again. Similarly, give us the song waves that makes everybody sing for an episode. <laughs> it's all good. song waves, by the way, <laughs> like, not song Yeah. song yeah, no, it's 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 great that this is going to be the cast too. I'm really excited to to see how it goes down. Uh, they give you enough in the the trailer to get a feel for it. It's ten songs too, Matt, in the in the course of an episode, uh, so quite a bit. Um, that along with streaming for everybody uh episode 207 early you know i was counting the days until we were going to get that this coming thursday but now there's a schedule change there is and it it knocked my socks off and, and in fact let me just go back for a second to see it clearly labeled on paramount plus and i have to confess pete i did see in passing this morning some people on twitter saying it's not up in canada yet i don't know the international picture and so on and so forth but just focusing here on paramount plus in the united states to see that episode 207 those old scientists it kind of was clearly labeled as like surprise early premiere or something like that so if you weren't tied into the tweetosphere world of things you kind of were like i didn't know this was here but i've clicked on it and it's clearly labeled as surprise i was like oh that's all you know that's cool we got next week star trek early no, no, no. Next week, Star Trek, there is still a new Star Trek on Thursday, uh, episode 208. Um, so that's almost kind of added to the joyousness that um, we will ultimately have gotten three Stranger World episodes in eight days. That's a pretty good trick. But Matt, 
did they do all this to distract us from more than maybe just dual strikes? I have to say, Pete, I was so swept up in the Star Trek utopia, I forgot that, uh, you know, for some people are Paramount Plus and Paramount Global. Uh, you know, it's a business about extracting value from humans and having them give you money. Um, all these good feelings, I have to say, Pete, it has changed the conversation away from hashtag save prodigy. It has taken the focus away from what has now been the final San Diego Comic-Con for Star Trek Discovery insofar as they showed a five-minute clip and obviously no actors and all of that. Um, I think we feel like we are on the winning end in that we got you know more Star Trek early and we got some great news shared and some things to be excited about in terms of this season, summer, and next season, fall, uh, in Strange New Worlds, a lot of great Strange New Worlds stuff, Lower Deck stuff, Lower Decks crossover, etc., etc. But I think you're on to something here. The relations with the public have improved, despite the fact that two beloved Star Trek shows have been canceled, and this was the first San Diego Comic-Con where potentially during question time, people could be taken to task for that. Yeah, and you're making me think with Discovery... It's a countdown now. Can they get a deal done prior to New York Comic-Con? Or does it unfortunately come to pass that Star Trek Discovery goes, starts its final season, uh, ends it in labor strife, and we don't get to have our actors, our creatives talk about the process? Methinks, Pete, there may be, there may be a post-discovery place in the world of fan conventions for, for these people to tell their tales. But, but I understand your point in that, you know, San Diego Comic-Con and New York Comic-Con in particular have been these mileposts by which shows can um, define themselves, you know, the pre-show reveal, the season one applause, things of that sort. Uh, so certainly time will tell. I mean, if you believe the whispers from the studio execs, they are more than ready to go into September and October with, with this work stoppage continuing. But Pete, on a slightly more positive note and in a slightly closer time frame, given that we are about to talk about uh, this episode right now, and uh, already many people listening to this podcast have already seen, quote unquote, next week's episode, Those Old Scientists, here's what we're going to do. Talking about this episode 206, this Star Trek Sunday, uh, on this upcoming Tuesday, so Pete, just a handful of days away, on Tuesday, we will be recording and releasing our podcast for Stranger Worlds episode 207, Those Old Scientists. So if you want to share feedback, as of recording, I don't have the poll up yet on Twitter, although I will pop that up uh, shortly. If you want to share feedback via email, if you want to be like Fred in the Netherlands and send in a voice message, whatever it might be. Here's what I'm suggesting. Tuesday, noon, New York time. Make sure that stuff is in. We will certainly not be recording that early, but if you want to give yourself a little extra time, get it in by then. And uh, Pete will have another Star Trek podcast, another mission before too long. But for now, let's get into this mission briefing. Prize cruises through Bannon's Nebula, which we'll talk a lot about in our theory segment on the edge of unexplored space uh ensign uhura records a communication officer's log on stardate 
8 about the stellar nursery filled with deuterium starship fuel, which Starfleet is building an outpost to collect and refine, provided they can get it to work. On the bridge, Pike marvels at the stars being born as Uhura admits to struggling with insomnia. He appreciates her work, but counsels her to only burn the candle at one end. She receives a greeting from the refinery crew who are ready to receive engineers. And number one steps out of the turbo lift with congratulations for fleet captain Pike, which he brushes off about commanding the Farragut and refinery, which would be a jumping off point for exploration. And Spock points out its proximity to gone space and their growing presence adding urgency pete you have so wonderfully summarized here the emotional trajectory of these characters the the physical place in which they are at in space and so forth uh then there was me jumping up and down saying looky pike has a different badge what's up with the badge what's the different badge um of course as you said explained that he is temporarily fleet captain uh pete gene said Pike had to be fleet captain at a particular story point. More on that later. This is a really interesting and very modest and very low key way in order to uh, keep a very, very old Star Trek idea in place, but also not for it to stick, let's say, for next week. Uh, so love those gymnastics. We'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, we are told that it is also time for the ship to refuel, given as how they're in such a fuel rich spot. Uh, the Boussard collectors are turned on, uh, the vents opening and so forth. The ship starts to move with that. Uhura hears a signal indeed, Pete, great camera work here, uh, as her, the normal way in which she looks at the screen, we see the communicator, uh, in her ear. Therefore we infer as she does that she is hearing the signal, you know, over her, her earbud there. Uh, but then the signal is gone. There's no recording of it, no evidence that it happened. It was there, she stresses. And she concludes that perhaps it's time for a system diagnostic. That diagnostic ultimately taking her into the nacelle, uh, watching an old Hemmer Comaray recalibration YouTube. You know, Pete, they say the internet never forgets, and indeed it remembers. He taught the cadet to fish, and now here she is getting the job done. Pelia arrives, noting that Hemmer was one of her best students. Actually, he was an okay student, but he did go on to such great things. Pelia notes that Uhura hasn't talked to her before. And, oh, right, Uhura puts on a big smile and welcomes her to the Enterprise. In a walk and talk, Pike admits to number one, the whole project, which was supposed to be complete two months ago has been a fiasco slowed by politely labeled organizational difficulties after the superintendent was shipped to Earth, which is why they could use her managerial fervor, which she relishes. As she enters the turbo lift, however, Uhura hears the sound again and sees a zombified hammer to take us to the title card. This, an episode written by Anitra Johnson and Dave Reed, directed by Dan Liu. 
In sickbay, Uhura is being looked over. She has an elevated reading in her visual cortex in line with hallucination. Uh, also, for Dr. Mbenga, it's not a random hallucination. Uh, it's likely that she's gotten a mild case of deuterium poisoning, you know, due to being in the, in the nacelle around deuterium. Uh, he gives her a shot and notes that she really, really needs to get to sleep uh, because all those... All those uh, symptoms haven't gone away right away, but hey, between deuterium poisoning and uh, exhaustion, she needs to rest. Indeed, he's putting her on official medical bed rest. As the refinery slowly twists, number one tries to get her arms around getting it up and running. Pelia tells her it's worse than it looks, but number one remains optimistic. Pelia points to breakdowns but number one believes three crews will be sufficient to overpower any obstacles pelia wants to figure out an underlying issue and number one doesn't like feelings and smells uh indeed making decisions on feelings and smells and so forth uh indeed for number one such issues will just appear as they work and demonstrably so not with instinct in uhura's quarters pete she sleeps uh but then can't sleep sits up then stands suddenly transported to what looks like a cloudy day in the toronto countryside but really really is meant to be africa uh Pete, fine, every day in Ontario can't be blue skies, but she's awoken there. But then she really awakes back in her quarters. So uh, it's true that she was not really awake in Africa, uh, just as she was not really in Africa, but rather in Toronto. Pete, take us to the transporter room. Where Lieutenant James T. Kirk materializes to be welcomed by Brother Sam to a hell of a ship he'll eventually blow up. They hug. And Kirk will take a tour so long as it ends at the bar. Over Scotch, he asks his brother what's new and exciting in xenoanthropology, but Sam counters with Jim's pending promotion as youngest first officer ever, surpassing his namesake on the Kelvin, even if he chooses not to use the name. Sam accuses Jim of showing him up to their dad. Jim says that they can make him proud in their own ways. Uh, and Sam offers not at all before leaving. Pete, this scene, a great reminder, even to me, that all Star Trek is Star Trek. Because when they referenced dad on the Kelvin, I was like, oh, right. In the Kelvin universe, that's Thor. That's Chris Hemsworth. And I was like, wait, hold on. No, no, no. That's only once the Romulan ship shows up that there is that divergence in time. Their dad actually did look like Chris Hemsworth. All of that was canonical. You know, the fact that the Kelvin was there and Captain Robot, all of that is prime timeline Star Trek. And it did just kind of take this scene to be like, right, there's an there's theoretically an old Chris Hemsworth looking guy who's out there <laughs> as George Kirk Sr. going, you know, my one son does the good science, I guess, but my other son, he runs a ship. Or at least that's what that's what Sam thinks, like whatever it is. If nothing else, Pete, I know Kelvin 4 originally had Hemsworth returning. Um, 
could we could we rule that out in the next? How about this way, Pete? Is there a is there a non-zero chance of Chris Hemsworth returning as George Kirk Senior some point in the next five years in canon canonical Star Trek? I mean, listen, he's done very well in Marvel. He's done pretty darn well in Star Trek and was game enough to return. I I would not rule that out at all. Aboard the refinery, number one, finally stabilizes life support only to have it drop out. A filthy Pelia tells her one of her teams found something in the fuel uh, distribution system because she disobeyed direct orders and went digging around in functional systems to find evidence of sabotage. I know later on we're going to get more about Una's perception of a conflict with Pelia. Um, but th- there's also a great kind of managerial lesson here, which is number one is not listening to the expert and the expert should be driving things by saying, let's go down and find the root cause and then build up from there. Instead, number one is saying, let's fix the, let's fix the buttons that are red and turn them green. Uh, and that's the order that things should be done. Yeah. It's just, it, it's, it's a great kind of little, little Star Trek lesson here. In the lounge over 3D chess, Spock tells Chapel to metaphorically make her moves. She uses Schrodinger's cat to quantify their entanglement that could prove fleeting if they let the fleet know. She wants to see what their relationship can turn into, giving Spock a playful wink before being interrupted by Uhura, who they know is supposed to be resting, but reasons she's not poisoned because she heard the sound on the bridge prior to the suspected exposure. Spock uses logic, as she's the only crew member affected to the point of poisoning, and Chapel says her chart indicates textbook overwork. Uh, Chapel can prescribe something to help her sleep, but that's the last thing Uhura wants now as she bellies up to the bar for Saurian Brandy next to Kirk, who she meets and accuses of hitting on her and isn't in the market for friends. As she leaves, hears the noise, sees bloodied bodies, and fights her knife-wielding self. Um taking out Kirk and bloodying his nose. Pete, let's rewind to the chapel Spock portion of this scene. There's such subtlety in the writing and such nuance in the acting. Uh, Indeed, it's almost an ad for writers and actors, if you will, but it's all par excellence here. 60% of it, by my estimation, is put upon Jess Bush to carry the emotion in the scene with Ethan Peck's fine-tuned Spock playing all the harmonies to her emotional melody. Uh, I mean, boy, oh boy, did they get two phenomenal people. I mean, I know Ethan Peck obviously, you know, got the role in Discovery and so on and so forth. But, you know, these intangible things like performing, like chemistry between two people and things of that sort, it's just all on display here. It really is. They've done such a good job. And now that they've built to this relationship, uh, interested to see, where they'll take it in this gray space. Uh, but after um, Hora helps up 
Kirk here. Uh, she uh, offers to take him to sickbay, but he notes her hallucinatory state and potential punishment for striking a superior officer. She heals him with a dermal regenerator in her quarters, and he empathizes with her symptoms and believes something else is at play and wants to help by checking if the Farragut has had any cases. Great to see Kirk here uh, in the support role, helping her figure things out here, particularly, you know, again, it's smart writing to say, he can recognize deuterium poisoning, having had it. He's gone days without sleep. It's happened to him. But this outcome of striking a superior officer, to him, that's enough where one plus one is not equaling three. So something is up here. We move to the refinery where number one and Pelia and security officers tiptoe to find a crewman mumbling to himself, hallucinating, not sure of his own reality. He is Ramon, Saul Ramon. Uh, and, and when... Confronted with sabotage, he seems, again, not aware of the particulars here. In Uhura's quarters, she's reflecting on the weight of things. The ship goes to red alert. Uh, she hears booming. She goes to the bridge where they're being attacked. Subtle moment here when she enters the bridge. She's not saying anything because, you know, in her... We're about to find out, Pete, that what happens is not really happening. For example, the bridge screen cracking, which... Many a fan may say, that's why you don't make it all glass, JJ. Um, but the bridge screen cracks. Uh, all there are pulled out. Um, then all of a sudden, the, the sound returns. Everything is well on the bridge. That's right, Pete. She has had another, another vision that is uh, not part of this reality. Yes, and reminded by Pike that she's supposed to be on medical leave. In the briefing room, he expresses concern, and she points out the irony of her situation in communicating her predicament before Kirk enters to meet Pike and congratulate him on his promotion. He heard about the arrested refinery crewman being reported by a Farragut friend who reported that Ramon seem to be hallucinating. They try to speak with him in sickbay, but Mbanga notes significant deterioration of the speech and language centers of his brain before he and Uhura hear the noise and he slashes Mbanga and escapes. Uhura thinks she's imagining it, but Kirk keeps her in the moment. Pike and a red shirt give chase as emergency lighting is activated and they find a bloodied female crew member outside Astrometrics. Laon joins with news Ramon cut power conduits and they head toward his perceived destination of engineering. Uhura and Kirk search when she hears the noise again and he disappears only to have him snap her out of it and he wants to bring her to sickbay, but she insists they split up. Pike and Laon run into Kirk, where she meets him in person for the first time, uh, which they don't have time to explain to Pike. Ahura finds blood and lets everybody know she may have found Ramon in the access to the port nacelle, where Kirk tells her to wait, but she goes up and tries to talk him down over their shared experience. 
but he initiates a fuel pod ejection sequence and fights her before Kirk arrives and orders emergency transport as Ramon is blown out. This is all such great use of the story pieces that are on the board. Uh, I think that we all widely expected Kirk to return after the time travel episode. Uh, obviously, different Kirk, blah, blah, blah. Um, but for that, you know, for that payoff with La'an, and here La'an has a partial payoff, um, but we don't get that drink. And indeed, Kirk saying, you still owe me that drink, kind of saying to the audience, don't worry, there still is that arc to things here. Great reminder that the mantra for the show is episodic stories, but serial lives. Uh, Kirk also there to be the one to save the day, as you mentioned, Pete. In Sick Bay, uh, Ramon's, well, presumably it's Ramon's body or perhaps the woman in the hall, regardless, yeah, Pete. It's a woman. Well, Pete, someone's dead. The price has been paid. Um, Uhura deeply reflecting. Uh, Pike will be allowed to decrypt the personal logs and uh, private medical information of the deceased Ramon. Perhaps there will be answers there. Outside of Sick Bay, Laon and Jim Kirk re meet uh, or re re meet in Laon's case. Uh, he's waiting for Uhura, not a friend, just a compatriot in need. Kirk reflects on his uh, father having been important, the family uh, chasing after him, barely seeing him. Mom would say he's helping people who really need it. And Kirk thinks out loud, saying, When you're a kid, you figure that uh, you kind of question why the man cares more about strangers than his own family. It must have been important, Kirk muses. Laon indeed is an example of someone helped by Starfleet, she says as much. Uh, and here is where it is reiterated, Pete, that perhaps we'll get that drink another time in one of the remaining episodes. But Pete, I'd like to put forth a, uh, a theory right now it's not going to be next week's episode 207 those old scientists zero percent chance of it happening number one and pelia continue repairs pelia says she should supervise from enterprise but pike wants number one on the refinery and pelia asks her problem with her which she says is the situation number one calls her sloppy cites her disrespect of protocols and discipline, defiance of orders, and even crumbs on her uniform like a space hippie. Pelia shoots back that number one is too used to being the smartest person in the room. Number one points out that Pelia has been in Starfleet since before she was born, yet she outranks her. Pelia says she'll have the station online in a few hours and leaves. Uhura and Kirk listen to Ramon's personal logs, reaching uh, he, he having reached the, the, the place where he was wondering if he was losing his mind. Uhura sees a very similar case. Indeed, some mental math here. She may be a day and a half away from losing her own mind. Pete, that's your standard story clock right there. Kirk suggests they take a break. There are, in fact, real cookies to be had in the mess hall. That's right. Not matter synthesized. Real cookies. Uh, but she doesn't want a cookie, and it's not the first time that she has imagined someone who was not there, which is a lot of negatives, which is to say, Pete, she has imagined someone uh, there who was not there. A few years ago, she lost her brother, her parents, in a shuttle accident. However, every time she closed her eyes afterwards, she would see it, the crash, their final moments, and so forth. She's been working through the pain of their loss, 
through the pain of Hammer's loss. How in the world can she be a Starfleet officer if she can't handle death? And I love here that Kirk uh, does. He, he says he could offer the comforting fairy tale, but rather, here's the truth. Their job puts them up against death more than one should. Right now, death is winning. So this is your inspiring Kirk speech here. You need to face it head on. You can let death win or you can fight back. So will you fight back? And is that still a no to the cookie? Yeah, the guy who cheated on the Kobayashi Maru and never faced death tells her their jobs bring them up against it all the time. That That's an interesting story point. Well, um, is he being truthful or is he being a leader? I think he's being both, to be brutally honest. I, I think it's consistent with his character that he would cheat against it and never face it as he's accused by his son years later in the wake of Spock's sacrifice uh, because he had never gone through the proper test of character that the Kobayashi Maru is expected, nay, supposed to elicit. Um, so to have Ohura here alone, replay Hember's video, uh, prompting inspiration. Uh, she finds Kirk in the corridor returning with the last cookie that he thought they'd split. And she shows him Ramon's brain scan and proposes something was trying to communicate with him, but the signal was too strong. She wants to talk to Sam, who has a theory about extra dimensional life forms poking into their space and attaching themselves to atoms in their dimension. Uhura posits her brain is attempting to do what the universal, universal translator does using her thoughts and memories like vocabulary. Sam thinks the aliens are the deuterium and the processing is torturing them to death. Uhura contacts Pike that they have to stop the refinery from going online, but she's too late by five minutes. Indeed, uh, we have an act break and then uh, Uhura and Kirk are running to get to the bridge. Uh, it seems that the refinery indeed cannot be shut down now. Um, Uhura hears the signal again, seeing the downed shuttle, seeing it inside, indeed out of focus, bodies there facing death. They enter the bridge and it is explained that these creatures that live inside the nebula are being killed by what's being done here, uh, by the processing of the deuterium. Uh, what evidence is there? She can hear them, she says. So could Ramon. These creatures are screaming for help. Uh, the captain is very certain. She's very certain. Kirk nods along as well. Or her suggests, well, how can we do this? The shutdown is not going to happen. We need kind of a big razzmatazz ending to this episode here. Uh, she suggests the station be evacuated. Uh, all the deuterium from the Enterprise and the Farragut be vented. Kind of give it all back to space. Uh, and indeed, the evacuation order is given by Pike. Uh, when all are clear, the station is on the receiving end of a torpedo barrage. Did it work? Ordered by Uhura. <laughs> Ordered by Uhura, kind of cross-knotted behind her yes. back by Pike, you know. Um, Uhura sees a happy Hemmer who nods to her and fades away. So did it work? We did it. Yeah, and shout out that they were able to bring Bruce Horak 
back for this episode. We'll talk if this will be the only time we see him in our theory segment here. Uh, Pike says that Starfleet can build a new gas station elsewhere and he'll shield her from any blowback because it was it was my order. See, see, that's what I'll tell him. Kirk thinks that Ahura's discovery could earn her a medal. Uh, Pike asks her uh, to take her station and uh, they leave the nebula uh, to get uh, Admiral Nagawa on his private channel before she takes a mandatory nap. On the escape shuttle, Una reflects on Starship Maintenance 307, an academy course. Uh, Pelia says, wait, what is that? But they both remember that that is where Pelia gave Una a C, or Pete, what I'd like to say, where Una earned a C Mm -hmm. from Pelia. Um, Indeed, that's what the wise engineer says. She deserved the C. Oh, but what about, I worked hard on the paper. Uh, It was sloppy and you got that C. But that's not what bothers Una, says the wise Pelia. It's Hemmer's death, his loss, seeing Pelia as a reminder of that sadness. Pelia is sympathetic to that. She has lost so many people uh, and does share this knowledge that there is the potential for peace after mourning. In the lounge, Uhura shows Kirk pictures of her family. Sam joins them and thinks he's going to write a paper about the aliens. Sam expresses his pride in Jim, who won't apologize. Spock notes Sam's frustrating nature as he is introduced to Kirk for the first time. Introduced cleaning up Sam's dirty dishes, yes. which was fun <laughs> last week, but kind of like a slightly weird, like, he's you know, how many people have ever snacked during a briefing? I think it's just Sam. Now you see, Pete, they're laying some story track here. Um, it, though there might be some tension again between the brothers, Kirk, uh, Uhura facilitates the introduction here. James meets Spock. Spock meet James Kirk. They shake hands. Spock is asked to join them, and the camera slowly, oh so slowly, pulls back as the three talk, because indeed, they have all the time in the world. Pete, we have an incoming threat analysis. Let's talk about being so proximally close to the Gorn. We know that they've been poking around since the first episode of this season. We know that the final episode is titled Hegemony, which has to, of course, be Gorn-centric. So now that they're not going to have this refinery here, it creates additional urgency, uh, nowhere to refuel. So you run the risk of that although matt there's this thing called dilithium so even then it's a little bit wonky but it it creates um you know more cause for conflict indeed pete many parts uh, a necessity there and it occurs to me part of what makes the gorn a great threat for this show this show that is coming after the klingon war of the first season of discovery um but still with many adventures to come, et cetera, et cetera, is we don't know 
there's so little that we know about the Gorn. So what are their corners? You know, how, how close are we to a Gorn hub and things of that sort? It's kind of a, a lot of question marks as we're kind of waiting for the big Gorn episode, presumably at the end of the season. But Pete, we're talking about threats this week. Uh, Lieutenant Saul Ramon, RIP, but a threat nonetheless. The troubled uh, crew member here who unfortunately winds up killing uh, another crew member and then uh, dying in the blown out nacelle. If anything, Matt, I've got to take them slightly to task. Why was he, uh, you know, a recipient of the message? We know that Uhura, good listener, empathetic. She's the comms officer. You know, they might have, as we talk all the time, some line here. All right, we know he had somebody die. It's fair to say there's a lot of people on both crews and the refinery crew have had people die before that the aliens might have used to try to influence and say, hey, stop this. You're hurting us like people you have loved to have died. Oh, I see. So you're saying something like he's part Beta Zed or look, he Ohura, like you, he seems to have um efficient synapses in the language center so something right. like that to got it um i think that's a fair that's a it fair it just seems th- random yeah uh, well and i think part of the randomness is they ultimately need a guy who's going to show up second in the story having this problem but chronologically first so it's like surprise it's kind of been a problem that nobody worried about on the farragut hey doctor of the farragut there's a reason why I hope that's not McCoy, you know. The, the, no, I said it was female. Got right, 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 of course. Um, regardless, Pete, the third threat for this episode, those deuterium aliens slash interdimensional aliens, are they the aliens from Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? Who's to say <laughs> no? <laughs> they are not. Um, I liked that we got through the episode without the over the top need to see them. And, and now they will coalesce in front of me and say, thank you Uhura, for saving us. Um, just this idea that uh, life is different. Love that they made use of the images and the memories in Uhura's mind to communicate. Uh, there are people you love who have died um you know right down to the point where hammer if you notice his his chest is blown out because he's he's given birth to a gone what strikes me watching this episode thinking of last week's episode we have two kind of shipbound episodes that don't feel like they're standalone money saving adventures um and i don't know to what degree you know are, are are they saving pennies for um, some degree of some degree of newness in episode two hundred seven, or for a big climactic battle finale thing at the towards the end of the season for the musical episode, which surely is going to take longer? I mean, probably these are all reasons why uh, two hundred five and two hundred six. One could make the argument that they were less expensive, um, but they certainly don't feel less expensive, particularly because. You know, it is okay for Star Trek to find some aliens that you can't see. I mean, we've we've been there before, or there's been, you know, um, 
you know, whatever, whatever, whatever the things are, the glowing lights, this, that kind of a classic Trek. It just, it just really, really works here. And again, this does not feel like a quote unquote money saving ship bound bottle episode. Pete, let's set some long range sense ores for the theories that are ahead. Uh, when do you suppose we will get Kirk back? I mean, maybe we'll we'll suspend with the notion that most people have not seen uh, the next episode. Maybe we won't delve into it here just for those who have not. But Kirk's not in 207. Will we see him in 8, 9, or 10? Uh, did you watch the trailer for the musical episode? I did. Maybe I should have watched more carefully. <laughs> um, Don't know if he appears in 208, Matt. Um Bannon's Nebula. You had asked me if I knew the reference there. Um, Melissa Navia, prior to um, the Screen Actors Guild strike, took to Twitter. She's been very public and, uh, you know, talked quite a bit about uh, the loss of her longtime love, uh, Brian Bannon who passed away days after being diagnosed with leukemia in late 2021. Matt, to the point where when we saw her at the April 22 premiere of the show at the gold carpet, you could just sense something was off with her, that she was in a fog without him. Um, and she credits him very much for, you know, her journey in Star Trek that he is, uh, memorialized on screen by name, uh, with a, uh, a, a new life nursery of stars, I think is the greatest possible tribute. I would wholeheartedly agree. And through these six episodes of the second season that we have podcasted and through the seven episodes of this season and therefore 17 of the entire series that most of us have seen, I think the biggest criticism is we have not seen more of Ortegas. We have not seen the definitive Ortegas backstory, the Ortegas parent, sibling, whoever comes on board, kind of, you know, the Ortegas episode. And that's as much as it's, she's an interesting character and so on and so forth. It's mostly a credit to Melissa Navia and the role that she has made, the role that she has originated, uh, surrounded by all these Gene Roddenberry creations. And sometimes they have rubber pointy ears and sometimes they have platinum hair and so on and so forth. And still, sometimes they're former Victoria's played by former Victoria's secret models and et cetera, et cetera. And nonetheless, Melissa Navia has, has burst through all of this to be a full and equal member of this cast and beloved by fans and so forth. Uh, and I think we all feel the bittersweet happiness that, that Bannon's Nebula will forever live in Star Trek lore. Is the fleet captain promotion, Matt, uh, only temporary? Yes, and I'll tell you why. A, he's got the normal badge again in next week's episode. But more importantly, here's why he had to be fleet captain. Here's why this is such a a, a kind of unnecessarily but necessarily beautifully constructed quietly constructed episode in the menagerie kirk makes reference to having met pike as fleet captain 
okay, fine. We want to get more Kirk into this show. The, the, the series clearly went to efforts to cast Paul Wesley in secret for the season one finale. And then they're filming in Toronto for season two and it gets out and blah, 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 that whole thing. Right. And, and, um, presuming at least one more Kirk episode this season, we're going to have four of the 20 episodes featuring him. Not for nothing, Pete, there's probably a plan somewhere to say, if strange new worlds goes, pick a number eight seasons, maybe by the end of season eight, you go, all right, Anson time to now recur. It's now a Kirk led show or whatever it might be like that. Those are good problems to have if the show goes that far. Um, but again, to have this notion of Kirk had to meet Pike as fleet captain, but we are not promoting Pike now, among other things that'll have people say, well, wait, are you, you're moving him out? Are you changing the show? What's going on? Am I now more focused on Paul Wesley than Anson Mount? No, no, no. It's a temporary badge because he's in charge of a mini fleet of two ships in one station. Plus, Gene said fleet captain all the way back then. So it just all works on every story level. We know that the Gorn are coming, Matt, this nebula's proximity to where they have incurred. Uh, will we see them prior to the season two finale? My suspicion would be no, given what a lot of us know about episode 207, those old scientists. Knowing that there's the musical episode now for episode nine, I feel, I feel like that's a good that's a good place to be a standalone thing. I don't think all of a sudden we're going to go from light song and dance. Oh my goodness, they're really doing it. They're really doing the musical Star Trek to like the Gorn have arrived. People are dying. Hey, remember Ensign Christina? Now she's dead with what the trap on the face. We get the 1966 Gorn, you know, prosthetics. And and it sings. <laughs> what well, it could it could do the uh, you know the Warner Brothers frog. It could do the hello my baby <laughs> kind of thing. <clears throat> and next week, dun dun dun. I I feel like they've teased it enough where if they've been planning the big, um, you know, end of second season. You know, seventy-minute episode. It's it's it, it's almost a Star Trek movie. It's up there to have that kind of oomph. There's going to be the big battles. There's going to be loss. There's going to be questions. There's going to be all of that. I feel like they've set it up sufficiently that we don't need the Gorn to show up. Now that said, knowing two hundred seven, fine. No, having a sense of the lightness of two hundred nine, maybe it is episode two hundred eight where there is some sort of reference or you you know whatever the Stranger Worlds version of those several next generation episodes that were like, Oh man, cities on the border, uh, on the border planets are being cut out. They're being cut out. Yeah. It's cause we're planning for the Borg. Um, I wouldn't hate it. If in 208, we get some sort of question where we go, well, what are they going to do with it? Then they didn't deal with it in 209. Oh wait, it was the Gorn. May I propose that 208, which remains the big mystery at this point, bring together things we know about sure like what the reappearance of captain angel love it maybe Cy the bar with lon and kirk cybok Ooh, okay and their involvement somehow in trying to cause a war between the gorn and starfleet 
I mean, I feel like all of that tracks and all of that would be a great way to get those people back. Heck, Pete, I'll do you one better. Just this past week in Actor Strikes in New York, not only was Jess Bush there and not only was um, Jack Quaid, they were there separately, but Jess Bush was marching with Angel actor uh, Jesse James Keitel. So um, maybe that was just a, hey, we're both in town and both live in town. Let's go protest together. Or Pete, maybe it's a reminder of the bonds of Star Trek and so forth. And I would love, I would love if 208 is all of those things and more. Let me go further. We got Bruce Horak back, new footage here as Hammer. What if, Matt? we see him again as cyborg uh that could look that could be really really fun my only my two complaints about this season thus far one not enough ortegas as we said second i kind of feel bad that bruce horak was in seven or eight of the ten episodes of the first season of this show uh and now you know, gets killed off, but hey, he's game for prosthetic and he's great in terms of, you know, here he is someone with with diminished vision in real life. It's great personality, great for representation, great for part of the Star Trek mantra and all of that. You know, now he's been back in one episode as the guy he used to play. Okay, that's a start. Sure, bring him back as the recurring Cybok. Um, that would be that would be fantastic. And if if his vision is an issue, oh man, Pete, it's because of the you know whatever it is come up with a vulcan reason why his why cybox's vision is is diminished for now uh, i think that's a great idea speaking of vision matt really struck me with the subtext of this episode the grief that both uhura and number 1 are still struggling with as a result of the loss of hammer really kind of a wanda vision esque episode it is. It is. It's a reminder of those losses. And look, baked into the procedural thing that is Star Trek, you know, the non-stars die all the time. And sometimes there's even funerals. And other times they go, oh, man, crewman lady gets a blanket over her face. Now we're going to go worry about important characters over here. Um, and look, and that is the story. That is that is the way it is. Um, but to have these characters reflecting uh, on such a popular character from season one, I think is fitting indeed. With that, Pete, let's go to Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. We go to the Twitter inbox, Pete, indeed, on a day where uh, breaking news, it might not be called Twitter starting tomorrow, Monday, June 24th, uh, July 24th. Who knows? All I know is this, Pete. Here's what some people had to say about this episode. All right. The question being, which duo gave you the biggest bang for the buck? Um, the choices were as follows. There was Pike and Kirk. That got 11%. Una and Pelia. That got 11%. Laon mm, Kirk. I'm proud of that one. 14.8%. And then, of course, Pete. Kirk, Spock, and Uhura. 63%. The, the winner there. Some replies on Twitter. First one from Andre Yeager at Dr. Polo 1983. He asks, was I the only one who thought that Uhura was seeing and hearing the smoke monster? Uh, love the interaction and relationship building between her and Kirk. Very well-written episode. Um, some replies. Karen Chu says, uh, my friend watches with me and said the smoke monster from Lost is here. Sir Hemlinkin indeed wondered, Lost, 
in translation. Uh, <laughs> all the best. Uh, we hear from Diana Bodenberg at Diana Bodenberg on Twitter or X, if that's what's going to get called tomorrow. Dumb name. Anyhow, like how the first time Uhura meets Kirk, she punches him in the face. They pull out shot on the pull out shot on Uhura. Spock and Kirk was the cherry on the episode. The only thing that could beat my giddiness uh, would be a lower decks crossover. You're in luck, Diana. I think actually she undoubtedly sent that. Let me do some mental math here. She said that knowing that that was already out there. Uh, we hear from Prodigy Deserve Better at KCLYLE1 on Twitter. Quite a turn from last week's comedic episode. I love that the show takes these different swings. Great performances and so great to see some version of Hemmer again. The promise isn't new. Aliens trying to communicate. But this was really well done. Twitter Ham Lincoln tests LC139 says, Stranger Worlds is six for six this season with Lotus on the bottom for me, even though I liked it. Lost in Translation had so many good things. There are too many to list here. So I'll leave it to the podcasters. Top-notch episode. Uh, regarding our poll, Pete, Karen Chu says, None of the above. Kirk and Uhura. I could watch them solve mysteries all day. Um, indeed, Pete, something I had meant to mention earlier. Let's quickly talk about it now. Karen's words have inspired me. I'd like to pitch you on a post-strike new Star Trek show. What if it got to use existing some existing sets existing costumes existing workforce how about star trek farragut i just think with everything announced it'd be a bridge too far i i like far better that you know as this show goes on um you know you integrate kirk more and more into the cast and it becomes a natural transition there are people who are fearful they're gonna reboot the original series that's never gonna happen um no you have this space to explore i think they continue through strange new worlds do you make you know kirk via the farragut something that uh you know runs in and out of the story i think you already have we hear from uh ed hopkins at ed hopkins 72 uh imagining some dialogue here once more, Captain Pike, or who ordered you to blow up the outpost? Uhura, sir. Ah, yes, Uhura. Let me check my files. That wouldn't be Nyota Uhura. Yes, sir. The Ensign? Yes, sir. Who was? Let me read that note again. On medical leave for insanity, sir. I think a fair criticism. At the end of the day, it was Pike that ordered all this stuff. But uh, <laughs> it is true that... Uh, how about this way? Uh, Ed is capturing a, a truth of this episode here. Uh, we hear from Brett Desmond... Desmo Williams at BW Desmo. I really enjoyed all the team ups and Kirk or her were dynamic, but there was just something about Una and Pelia that really hit a spot for me. Uh, indeed, Pete, some questions here about my own poll. Richard Combs at WOM Gaming 666 says, Where's the option for Spock and Chapel? Fair as well. Wonderful scene there. Lastly, Pete, we hear from at Gooner JCH. Love Kirk, but let's get back to Pike for the rest of the season. What do you have over there on Facebook, Pete? Alan Thomas writes in to the post from last week's episode on Facebook. No further contact is necessary. Too bad. I'm submitting feedback anyway. I neglected to vote in the poll, but I would have chosen Ship Swoon. Three out of four stars. Not quite as good as last week thought there was a bit of a CW teen romance to the scenes with Chapel talking to the aliens 
and we were robbed of actually seeing Vulcans play charades. But it was a lot of fun and actually tugged the heartstrings with Spock's mom near the end. By my count, that's four good episodes in a row after a season premiere that was a tad on the weak side. And Josefina Avalos uh, also responded, that's where I recognize Ortegas's line uh, before going into the anomaly Jurassic Park. And she included a gif of Sam L. Jackson saying, hold on to your butts. Pete, we have an email from Alan Thomas. Look at that. Uh, reflecting on this episode, saying, I wasn't a huge fan of the Captain Planet main plot. In particular, it strikes me as risible that Pike could avoid being court-martialed and even keep his command after blowing up a Federation refinery in a key strategic location on the say-so of a junior officer who was exhibiting the same symptoms as the guy who killed two members of the crew and blew a hole in the side of the ship. I didn't really love the B-plot with Una and Pelia either, although I did find it amusing to see the marked contrast in their heights. Uh, on that, we certainly agree. Uh, Alan goes on to say, but I did really enjoy all the scenes set in the bar with Spock, Chapel, Uhura, Kirk, a character I, incre uh, I increasingly like in his own terms, even if he doesn't uh, quite seem like James T. Kirk to me, and Sam. The jazz band at the end was a nice touch, and the episode ended with a nice visual flourish, so there was definitely worthwhile material here, even if it's hard to recommend the episode as a whole, given the major problems I had with it. With that, Pete, let's hear from Admiral Fred in the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2, Episode 6. I also watched The Ready Room with Will Wheaton, and we had as guests Celia Rose Gooding and Carol Kane, which of course is a very nice contrast because Celia is quite young, and Carol Kane is, of course, a, a very known older actress, although I don't know her. I did check out her IMDb, which goes back to 1971, and I actually didn't see anything she was in. 166 series and movies, and I've seen none. Well, I'm not too much into humoristic comedies, not series, not movies, whatever. The only things I recognized on our IMDb were Taxi, uh, Cheers and Annie Hall. And the only thing I would like to watch is Gotham, where she plays in 10 episodes. Nevertheless, the ready room was interesting, seeing two people who look at their roles in Star Trek and being in the Star Trek franchise as newcomers was very interesting and of course different for both of them. Uh, it's very interesting. But the respect that Carol Kane gets from the actors who Will Wheaton interviews, and he himself as well, I don't feel it. One of the questions was, how was it to play opposite Carol Kane? And whoa, etc. Well, it was of course an Ahura-centric episode, which was quite nice. Although the story was a bit, let's say, old, so that there are some alien life forms whose environment is being violated or destroyed by human doing and that these humans even though know that they are doing it it's not a new story and that they try to communicate but the way of communicating is very difficult or obscure 
Well, we all got it here. It was nice to have a little follow-up on the relationship between Chapel and Spock, as well as between Laan and James Kirk. Just a snippet that was enough. The story about the interaction between James and Sam Kirk was, of course, a typical brotherly competition-like story. I don't know if I liked that so much, but it was okay. And of course there was the first handshake between Spock and James Kirk, which of course is iconic. And very nicely done was that Uhura is in the back of that scene. Okay, that will be all for this time. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, nay, Fred. I have some recommendations for you, Fred. Check out Dog Day Afternoon, in which Carol Kane has a small role, uh, but you'll immediately say, that's Carol Kane in the early 1970s. Fred, you also have not seen The Princess Bride. That's inconceivable. Disney Plus, get on it, Fred. Please, please, please. You'll enjoy it so much. Not a huge part, super memorable part, though, uh, and a classic you need to take in under any circumstances. Uh, I do like that Fred really highlighted uh, Carol Kane and Celia Rose Gooding being on The Ready Room, uh, a show I tend not to watch. Uh, Just the fact that there are these two contrasts of careers here, but both brought together in uh, in that which is Star Trek and uh, certainly a feel good conclusion there. And just a reminder for Fred and for everybody else that we will be doing episode 207, Those Old Scientists, this Tuesday, Star Trek Tuesday, moved a little early uh, because we're going to be getting another episode on Thursday. So get that feedback in to us by noon our time on Tuesday, if you'd like it to run during that episode. And Pete, the little extra zip in our giddy-up as we head to episode 207, made possible by those who support us on patreon.com slash fantasticgeek, took some figuring to figure out exactly when we should carve carve this out, but still be able to continue with Star Trek Sundays and episode 208 next weekend, etc., etc. So extra thanks to those who support us on patreon.com slash fantasticgeek, because, uh, you know, in the last 18 hours, Star Trek has got a bit more busy. All of which uh, the people at patreon.com slash fantastic geek allow us to remain listener supported so you don't get any intrusive ads, can't contribute right now. Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts, give us a rating in seconds or a review in just a little while longer and help us get pushed out through that algorithm to all sorts of people who haven't discovered us just yet. And Pete, let's keep the Star Trek conversation going. Again, get your feedback in for episode 207 by, let's say, midday on Tuesday, wherever you might live. Pete, how can people be in touch with you on a social media network? You can find me on what is still called Twitter, uh, at Peter, uh, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-R-K-E-T-E-R-K-E-T-E-R-K-E-T-E-R-K-E-T-E-R-K-E-T-E-R-K-E-T-E-R-K-E-T-E-R-K-E-T-
repeat the upcoming schedule, simple yet exciting, Star Trek Tuesday for Stranger Worlds Episode 207, uh, Marvel Saturday, Secret Invasion Saturday as we wrap up that series, and then back for more Star Trek next Star Trek Sunday. Exciting times indeed. And with that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Important lesson, be less gullible. 